carb stop. John 4. I'm going to hand it over to you. Give them a moment. Okay. Like Cassie said, we're in John 4. I'm going to read for a little bit. And I'm getting over a cold, so bear with me. All right. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had come to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman came from Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where, are you, where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water, the water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Let's pray. Father God, thanks for bringing this uh, group of people together today to worship and praise you and to make much of your name. Thank you for your word that you've preserved through the ages that we get to just read and learn and grow from. Thank you for your salvation, that it's available to everyone, all who hear and receive the truth of your gospel. I pray that it take root in our hearts and our minds. pray it be nourished by your living water. Uh, I ask that you just help us listen to your voice. Just as we read in this passage, that we would go to the places that you have called us and the busyness and the weariness, just as Jesus was explained, um, that we too would see the opportunities in front of us to speak words of encouragement 
uh, to those who need it to bring life and hope to the lost. I thank you that you sought us out when we were dead in our sins, that when we were far from you and wanted nothing to do with you but fulfill our own desires, you grabbed our hearts and you captured us and transformed our desires, and you call us your own. And you did all of this by the very real and painful sacrifice of your son. And it's in the power of his resurrection that we pray all of this. Amen. Amen. Thank you not only just for uh, reading and praying, but for casting a beautiful vision of a neighborhood group. My wife and I were listening to you, and we were just like, man, we're in. That's, that's a beautiful, beautiful picture. So thank you for that. All right, so neighborhoods, networks, and nations. That's what we hear every week. It's what we've been hearing for the last three weeks, I think, now. Um, now we're in this, or no, this is the third week, right? We've talked about, this is kind of our starting point of this Acts 1-8. You'll receive power where my spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's your home base. In Judea and Samaria. Oh my gosh, we're in Samaria in the text and into the other parts of the earth. Last week we talked about the good neighbor, also known as the good Samaritan. Now we're in Samaria again. It's almost like uh, this is ordained by God that we would be thinking about these things. And it's not just we've talked about like how do we reach uh, our first mission at home. Then we talked about last week our second mission in our, amongst our neighbors and in our neighborhood. And now we keep going outward into the networks. Uh, this is by far the, probably the one that I find the easiest. Uh, just in my own natural rhythms of life, it's a lot easier for me to, to, to make disciples, to share Jesus, not even at home. That's harder for me. Because I didn't have that model at home, like teaching me about Jesus. Instead, like I had to figure all that out once we became believers. But, and I didn't really have a model for going out, but I did have an understanding of how I was reached. And so I want to ask you a question as we get going, a little experiment, if you will. Um, but like, how many of you um, found your church home, if this is not your church home, just think about your church home, how many of you found your church home just by a raise of hands, um, by show of hands, uh, by a friend coming and asking you, hey, do you want to come to this church, yeah? A few of us in here? Okay, how many of you, where were you when that happened? That's maybe the thought about networks. Where were you? When those types of things happen, you may have been at work, you may have been at the ball field, you may have been online, you may have been somewhere. Um, now I would ask, where are you or where were you when someone invited you to follow Jesus for the first time and you accepted? Was that at home? Maybe. Some of us, that was at home. Was that in a church gathering? Maybe. Some of us, that was in a church gathering. I can tell you for me, I got saved at Breakaway in October of 1999 um, at A&M, big, ginormous Bible study at about 10.05, I got saved that night. But that is not the beginning of when I, uh, of that story for me. That's the culmination of that salvation story that was in 1999. What started was out on the baseball field. What started was out on the football field. When the Young Life leader, the local Young Life leader would show up, his name was Paul Wise, still good friends of, uh, of mine, he would show up at the ball field when I didn't have necessarily, uh, my dad wasn't at home. Uh, my parents got divorced when I was three, right? And so my dad is North Houston not coming to the games. My stepdad was there, of course. But also Paul Wise was there. Paul Wise was there at every game. And I remember thinking, this, whatever he's selling with Jesus, I'll buy because he's here for me when it really doesn't matter. It's, it's taking time and effort and energy for him to be at these games 
to support me, to show me that he loves me, so that when he says, which I did take him up on this, at two in the morning, and I'm in trouble, and I need someone to call that I can't call home, I know he means business when he says, you call me at any time. And on a Monday night or whenever it was, and I had to call him at two in the morning because I was in trouble, and I sure wasn't going home. I was over at Paul Wise's house. And it was a work day, and he had to work, and he woke up, and he answered the phone, and he spent however long it took to spend with me to get me through my existential crisis of the moment and get me back to where I needed to go. I finally went home, I think, when the sun rose. But I'm wondering where you were. See, for me, it was out there. It wasn't in a religious place. That's where it culminated. But it started out there somewhere in what I'm calling a network. Salvation may start in a gathered space uh, like here or at Breakaway, but the invitation, at least in my experience, starts when we are in scattered places. And so for us, I think we all have circles of influence outside of our homes, outside of our neighborhoods, where we spend far more time, effort, and energy. I remember beginning, uh, the beginning workings of this church, we started to talk about, you know, in your neighborhoods, in your neighborhoods, matter of fact, our first mission statement was something along the lines of uh, renewing our neighborhoods to reflect gospel-centered communities. And you're all going, okay, that's way less compelling than what you do now. And I don't know what it is, but it's less compelling. Uh, but re like renewing neighborhoods, everything was about a neighborhood. And what we missed in that mission is the network, where actually you spend more time at work. You spend more time out of your neighborhood. It's just a, that's just a, a docking place for you to go out and do whatever it is that you're going to do. But we have circles of influence that are outside of our neighborhoods, perhaps outside of our homes, that we're calling networks. And Jesus would say, for him, it's the well. It's the well that he intentionally went and identified for himself to be able to do what he is doing in this passage. Jesus enters into his network outside of his home base of Jerusalem or Galilee. And as a matter of fact, geographically, it's right in the middle of Jerusalem and Galilee. And so he enters into this space from Jerusalem on the way to Galilee one day. And he does this uh, to help us understand what it looks like to minister to those whom God has placed in our path. You could call them networks. There are other churches. Uh, the missional community world calls them third places. They're the places that you go. That comes from uh, the Starbucks CEO. That's what his whole vision was, that he wanted to create third places. Not home, not work, but a third place where you could go and enjoy a cup of coffee and community. And it's in those places that we're really investigating and trying for me. I want you to uncover what it looks like to live a life on mission, not just at home, not just in your neighborhoods, but also to the networks with gospel intentionality, to bring the gospel to a lost and dark and dying world, how can we do that? And I think Jesus shows the way right here in John chapter 40. The first thing that he's going to help us see that we need to do is identify our well. You know, a temple is a place where all the religious people come. And they kind of get a religious word, or they go to pray, or back in the day they would go and offer sacrifice. It was all just for religious folks. I hope and uh, pray that you know our desire is never to just to build a temple. It's to build a well. Why a well? Because that's where everyone in the city needed to go every single day, maybe multiple times a day, to get their most basic needs met. It was where... 
Even around the world today, there are wells still needing to be drilled so that people can just get clean water that's local and accessible. This was a place where everyone had to go in our modern day, right? It's basically like the water cooler at your work. If you work from home, it's your neighborhood Facebook uh, page. Like, you know what's going on in your hood, in your neighborhood. All you got to do is go on your neighborhood Facebook page. Like this, this week was all kinds of crazy stuff, like in all kinds of neighborhoods around here. We've heard it on, on GroupMe. You may have heard, heard about it, but like you hear about that on neighborhood, on, on Facebook somehow. For me, I know who's complaining about the lake, not because I hear them complaining about the lake at the park. I know they're complaining about the lake because I can go to the Facebook page and go, oh, yeah, them same people have been complaining. It's, it's that's the well. That's where we're going to, yes, voice our opinions, but also to get some sort of basic need met. For the woman at the well, she was there at an odd time. It says it right there in the passage. It says that she was there about the sixth hour. She was there in the heat of the day. It was noon. It was tradition back in those days for usually the female of the house to go or the child of the house to go early in the morning or in the evening when the cooler of the day. The problem with this woman is that she had been pushed out of those normative practices because of her sin. Her sin had pushed her out of the more convenient, the more communal times, and instead she had to go at the heat of the day where she would typically be alone except for this day. It was this day that Jesus intentionally went through Samaria, and dare I say, for only for this purpose, for only to see and meet and invite this woman into the kingdom, into acceptance, into the light and into drinking from the true well that would never run dry for her soul. He identifies his well, and he's helping us then identify that we also have wells, so to speak. It says it right here in verse 4. Now, uh, the passage that was read probably is in a different version of the ESV. They changed it a couple of years ago, but I have the older version. And in verse 4, my version says, and he had to pass through Samaria. I think her version said, he had come to pass through Samaria. That's like not great because it changed the Greek word to make it uh, make more sense. The Greek word is, it was necessary for him to go through Samaria. And this word, when it's used in the book of John, uh, reveals this divine appointment. This divine, uh, someone else's will that he is serving. And it says it, he had to go through Samaria. Because what you don't know is that in those days, yes, the, the direct route from Jerusalem to Galilee was straight through Samaria. But the strict Jews would not go through Samaria because the Samaritans had intermarried over the centuries and polluted the bloodline of the Jews. And so the strict Jews were not having any of that. In fact, they uh, would not let them worship at the temple. That's why she's on this hill at Jacob's well for so long ago. And so it was customary for the rabbis and for Jews that were going from Jerusalem or Galilee or vice versa to go around Samaria. That is not what Jesus did. He goes straight through Samaria because he had to go there. He had to. It was necessary. There was a divine appointment for him that he must have done. So that he could honor his father, it was something truly theologically true, and that's the only way it makes sense. That's why I think they kind of changed it a little bit. He had to pass through Samaria. There was something and someone else directing his steps to a person 
at a place where he had to uh, interact with her and invite her into the kingdom. Jesus had identified the well in which his father had sent him to visit at this exact hour to visit with this exact woman to have this exact conversation and dare I say he's done the same thing for you. Acts 17, 26 says that God has appointed the times and the boundary lines for humankind. He has put you where he wants you, with whom he wants you to be, for the purposes of going to your well with the message of the living water and giving that cup to drink to someone else. That's like the whole point of life at home, in your neighborhoods, and of course in the networks. You are on a divine assignment It is not a coincidence or luck or chance that you sit next to whoever drives you nuts in your cubicles. I remember being in cubicles long ago. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I just have a home office now. Uh, But I remember being in cubicles long ago, and you hear everybody's conversations. Sometimes they're funny. Sometimes they drive you nuts, right? But you wonder why you're there. You wonder why you're working with these folks on these teams, why you're in these classes as students next to these folks, next to these people that are far from God. You wonder? God has put you there on purpose. It is his divine will that you would have relationships with whom you have relationships. He has been giving you divine appointments from the get-go, first for your sake so that you could drink of this well, and now for someone else's sake because you know how to be able to draw water out and give it to your neighbor or whomever's next to you. So, So friends, do you have eyes to see this? Do you have eyes to see that your networks are God ordained? Do you have eyes to see that God has sent you on a mission where you frequent on a regular Basis. So here's how we kind of just, I'm, def, I'm defining networks today. It is a public place that you visit on a regular ba- basis for the purpose of vocation, that's like where you work, for the purpose of education, you students, and for the purpose of recreation. I don't know of another sphere of life, but if it is, it better end in Asian, otherwise my whole definition's off. Networks are the places you work, you live, you play, and where God puts people in your path for the exact same purpose Jesus visited the well in Samaria. So when you were single or perhaps you were um, newly married, this was the place where you went to go hang out with your friends. And then when you started having kids, uh, you don't have friends of your own anymore. You just go and hang out with the friends of wherever your kids want to go and get invested. Uh, That's all you got time for. And so you better enter enter into that space of baseball or softball or karate or soccer or whatever it is they do with the same intentionality to make some friends from strangers for the sake of Jesus' kingdom. That's what Jesus is inviting us into. So there are varying degrees here of what this looks like. I literally couldn't quit writing names of people that have visited this church, come and be a part of this church because of the networks that God has sent me to. And this is not always the case. I told the story last week about how they asked me, like, what are some lost people that you know, and who could you reach with the gospel, and I had, like, one name. So I I don't pretend to think that everybody's getting this understanding of entering into these spaces with gospel intentionality to share the gospel with whomever God has put in our path. I certainly wasn't there, and I was a seminary graduate and a pastor. Instead, now... Almost nine years into this journey of church planting, God has so graciously put into my eyes, our eyes and ears, and in our hearts to be able to see the lost people or just 
like wandering people. They don't have to be lost. They should be wandering without a church home. So Friday night, you guys know, some of you know this, we go to Pepperoni's almost every Friday night. If we're in town, we're going to go to Pepperoni's right here in Pecan Grove. Why? The pizza's good. It's more expensive, though. Like, I got to tell you, like with inflation, I'd rather just not pay the prices. But I've made friends with a girl over there that runs the joint, and her name is Valerie. And just this Friday night, if you want to just see this, over long periods of time, five minutes at a time, bringing my kids in, having them introduce uh, her to Valerie or whomever, over fi- for five minutes of a to- at a time, over long periods of time, up until this last Friday, I go in there, I hadn't seen Valerie in forever. She goes, hey, I just want to tell you real quick, I've been sober for three months and ten days. Awesome. Give me a fist bump and my pizza, and let's catch up later. Right? We didn't have time. There was a line literally out the door. It was spirit night or something. She didn't have time, but she just was so excited to tell me what was going on in her life. That's the fruit of a long period of time, five minutes at a time, just sharing the gospel with her, inviting her over into our home. Do you invite your pizza people over into your home? You should do it. It's exciting. That's one example. At the bus stop with the other moms. Yes, I go to the bus stop with the other moms. But you know what? They're friends with Moses. Their kids are friends with Moses. When Moses gets baptized, they were here that day. At the, there are too many names to think about, baseball and softball. Like, we're not just going to the fields to root on our kids. I don't just coach because I, like, need to or want to, although that's kind of true and sad. <laughs> but I go there to hopefully have an impact, a gospel impact, and it gives me a voice to be able to preach and speak the gospel, the truth, into the parents and into the kids that I never would have had. Maybe your thing is not baseball or softball. Maybe it's the gym or CrossFit or F45 like it was for me. I, st- I haven't gone to F45 in a long time. Not that it shows. But I still have lunch on a quarterly basis with the owner of F45. Why? He goes to a church somewhere. But I just got this sinking feeling that church attendance does not mean conversion. So I'm just going to keep having lunch with that guy. And just keep having lunch with that guy. So have you identified your well? Like there, everywhere. People are going there to get something met. Have you identified yours? What is the place that you either habitually or intentionally visit for the purpose of vocation, education, or recreation? And have you opened your eyes to what God has put before you so that you can maybe just share the gospel? And it could just start with, hey, man, I go to this crazy church and they tell us to pray for our stranger friends because he thinks that like God put people in our, our way today just to pray for them. And so because he said it, I don't know if I believe it yet, but I would like to pray for you. Can I pray for you today? Yeah, it's really weird. Cool, I'll pray that you think it's weird. And the next time I see you, maybe you won't avoid me. We'll see. But you could pray. You could start with that simple conversation to just pray for them. All right, you got to identify your well. But beyond that, Jesus does some really significant things here at the well. And I, I, I will say, I, I borrowed a lot of this from a book by um, Bruce Demarest. It's called Soul Guide. If you could find it, it's really beautifully written. Um, and so there's some things in here that, that I, I, I know that I've lifted from there, just don't know exactly which parts. But um, here's the deal. What Jesus does at the well is he, push, he pushes past the barriers that are there. And you might be thinking, well, what are the barriers that are there and how do they relate to me? There are four that I see, and they all start with an S. Um, at least in this language. So the first one is that she's a Samaritan, that she's a different, she's different than him. And dare I say, even 
unclean to the Jewish uh, world. They were considered unclean, like I said. And so I would wonder, um, for us, I don't know who you've considered unclean. But I'll bet you they don't vote like you. They don't love like you. They, they might uh, fly some flags over their house that you wouldn't fly. I'll bet you there's some, some uncleanness that we've put on people that maybe doesn't belong the way that Jesus enters into this space with a Samaritan woman. That's the first barrier that he pushes past. The second one is sex or gender. Like They say, like, I couldn't believe you were talking to a woman. That's what the disciples are saying when they come back from the town, which, by the way, is where she's from and where she's about to go. They come back from that town, and they go, I couldn't believe you were talking to a woman, but no one dares say, what are you up to? That's a barrier in their culture, right, that ultimately, this is what uh, really strict rabbis would teach to their people, to the other men. It says, uh, this is a quote, let no man talk with a woman in the street. No, not with even his own wife. Rather, burn the words of the law than teach them to a woman. That's normative Jewish customs back in the day. There was that particular barrier that he was pushing past. There was also the barrier of sin. I mean, we know this from the story that he says, hey, go and get your husband. And she's like, I don't have a husband. And she's like, he's like, I know. I know everything about you. Matter of fact, you've had five husbands, and the one you're living with now is out of convenience or whatever else, but it certainly isn't out of covenant. But that sin didn't bother him to the point where he would push her away. Instead, he just entered into those spaces, and he knew her soul was wounded and hurting and hardened, and Jesus was undeterred. Who amongst us has also looked at the sinful and what is our reaction? Are we, are we deterred? Or are we, are we invited into something deeper than what we're comfortable with in those moments? The last barrier that I think he pushes past is sarcasm. Uh, ultimately, she's sitting there looking at him and being like, boy, you must be really thirsty to be asking a Samaritan woman for a drink. Am I not going to make you unclean? I mean, who comes to a well and they don't even have their own pottery here to get this water? I mean, she is given him a little bit of the business. And he is not backing down from that either. Instead, I wonder what it would look like for those with sharp tongues around us at the ball field or at work or wherever it may be, and they cuss a whole lot. Like, I wonder if we saw those that had sarcasm or, or, or foul language around us, what would it look like for us to engage them with the vision of like, when God gets a hold of that tongue, what is he going to build for the kingdom? If they're that bold and brazen for the world, how much more could they be bold and brazen for the kingdom? But they're not going to have that change of heart until we engage in a significant way. You see, what is it that ultimately brought Jesus to the place of pushing past all these barriers? He cared for her soul. It wasn't the barrier of sex or sarcasm or that she was a Samaritan or sin. He had a burden for her soul. Friends, people in your network at the well around you are looking for water, but they're going to the wrong place. They're going to a physical well. They're going to the ball game. They're going to their work for success and achievement and accomplishment. They're going to that Facebook page to get acceptance so they can have somebody like whatever they've put out there. And it is a well that consistently runs dry. And if we're not careful, we get caught up into the same activities, going to those same wells, 
And all of a sudden, we're not there with gospel intentionality, drinking of the, the water that never runs dry. We're drinking of the same well. And ultimately, we become like kids who are choosing a soft drink. It's going to satisfy your immediate thirst, but it is not going to satisfy you. Like as a kid, I would uh, play basketball in, my, na- in my, uh, my driveway, and instead of going to get water, I would down a Mountain Dew, and it was delicious. But it also made me more thirsty, so I would go back and get another Mountain Dew. And it, because the caffeine, the sugars actually don't quench your thirst, and if we're not careful, we start going and we start getting, we get liquid in our mouth, but we're not satisfying our true thirst. Jesus reminds us, everyone in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water, the water that he, he offers, that water, it will, always, it will always satisfy us and we will never be thirsty again. In stark contrast, the admiration, accomplishment, acceptance we are looking for is uh, elsewhere is ultimately found in the promise of Jesus in verse 14. Where he says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So while you're at your networks, while you're at the ball field or at work, whatever you've identified in your mind is your well. The place where you got to go. Where everybody else is going and you might as well go too. While you're there, what are you up to? Are you there just to blend in? Are you there just to root your kid on? Are you there just to coach those kids? Are you there just to? Are you there with some sort of God-ordained divine appointment with now the power of the Spirit inside of you so that you could be a witness to Jesus in those places? Ultimately, we have to care about people's souls to get past the barriers that are there. And here's the deal you're going to have to be okay with it being awkward. It's going to get awkward. Like I love that Kyle stood up and just was a little awkward with everybody because we all got to get awkward when we're inviting people into doing something new. It might be awkward for you, but that can't be the cost that's keeping us from actually making disciples that would follow Jesus. Maybe, maybe blending in is not just our only issue. Maybe it's not just being there to just root on our kids. Maybe we're so holy in those places that the lost or the wandering around us don't want anything that we would ever sell them. Because we've come across as holier than thou or just, you know, we're those, those Christian folk. Uh, the coach that um, I coach with, um, she introduces me to the new coaches that have come onto our team. She goes, hey, uh, this is Lance. He helps coach. I don't help coach anymore. Uh, but he helps coach. And um, he's a pastor, but he's one of those non-judgmental ones. And I just go, well, praise the Lord, like you're defending me already and, you're, and I've earned the reputation with you to not be judgmental because if you knew the conversations that she and I had had about her worldview, you would go like, oh, dang, that feels like you're judging her. No, I'm not judging her. I'm inviting her to the same kind of conversation that Jesus would invite someone at the well and go, no, you're, you're drinking fine, but you're going to the wrong place. That place is never going to satisfy you. Did you know the number one reason that people uh, do not go to church, do not follow Christians, do not follow Jesus, is because of Christians? Number one reason why people don't go to church or follow Jesus is because of the Christians in the church that say they follow Jesus. The number one reason. Either we're inconsistent or we're just not very nice about what we believe. 
Truly, it's true. Amen, amen, I say to you. For real, for real, as Josue would say, right? That truly, Jesus said, you will be my disciples. They will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And they've seen how we love one another. And they've gone, you can't follow that Jesus in the Bible. And they opt out. So maybe it's not just that we're passive in those places. Maybe we need to be reformed a bit and have a more invitational heart that we would prioritize other people's souls, die to ourselves, and engage with the message of life. See, we got to identify our well. we got to push past these barriers. And the last thing, if you could see it, we got to catch Jesus' vision. I know we read a lot of John 4. We're going to read a little bit more. I cut them some slack by not having to read the rest of it. But let me read just the next little section here because I think we're going to see Jesus' vision on how we can do this well in verse 31, right? So recap, Jesus meets the woman at the well. He reveals, by the way, himself to her. She's the first person that he reveals himself as the Messiah. She then is the first missionary to go back to her city, right? And she goes and she tells people this beautiful story about this Christ that knows everything about her yet does not condemn her. And we pick up the story in verse 31, and it says this. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Still, satis- still concerned about physical things and not yet about spiritual things. But Jesus is going to correct them. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone else brought him food? Did the lady bring food for him? What are we, what are we missing here? Anybody else bring him something to eat? Jesus said to him, my food is to do, to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you, not, uh, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Well, look, this is the vision now. This is the vision he wants to see. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. What was that testimony? He told me all that I ever did. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two more days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of that what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Jesus says to his disciples, and now we relay now to us to look, to lift up your eyes and see. Verse 35. Jesus looks beyond the well and now looks into the city where the disciples just went into and missed the whole point of the errand. Now they're coming back. She goes back right into that city and brings all sorts of people from the town to come and hear the words of this Messiah. Jesus puts down for us, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. The Father sent Jesus to do the work of mission, of making disciples. And he also sends you to do the work of him who sent Jesus. For he sends you as well. And that woman who knew Jesus for all of five seconds got it. But the disciples did not. 
they were still wondering, what about this food? How did this all happen? Why are you talking to a woman? Just like religious folk, to put up all kinds of barriers that don't matter, to excuse themselves of the mission at hand. You see, but here's the thing. We have a testimony. We have a testimony. That's what the woman was so powerful in doing. She went back to this city and she told her story about this Messiah at this well. And you have a testimony too. Let's say you don't know how to share the gospel. You have a story. You have a story of a changed heart, a transformed heart. You don't have to have the Romans road memorized. You don't have to have Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 memorized. But you do have, let's pray, a story of transformation like Travis told his beautifully. A beautiful crescendo, not like a sonic boom. Mine was more like a sonic boom. And God does it all kinds of different ways. And someone needed to hear about the crescendo today and not a sonic boom. But he has a story. You have a story that is powerful. And I keep saying powerful because Revelation says something really significant about your testimony that I want you to see. Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 and 11, I think will come up on the screen. John the Revelator saying, now this, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers, that would be Satan, the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. And that accuser accuses the saints day and night before our God. You see what Satan wants to do? He goes to the king and he says, those jerks down there keep sinning against you. Turn your back. They're terrible people. And he does the same thing to you in your quiet places. He's the accuser. It's what he does. It's not like, something that he only does, it's who he is. He accuses them day and night before our God, but this is it. How do we overcome that kind of accusation in verse 11? And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. For they love not their own lives, even unto death. What a powerful word that you and I have that we would partner with the gospel story of the blood of the lamb and then it becomes powerful when people that are bathed in that blood, cleansed by that blood, actually will lay down their lives for those that God has appointed them to. What power, what beauty, what satisfaction can we have in this Jesus at the well? So what do you do? from here on out. Well, Jesus had to go through Samaria on a divine appointment, and you, friends, are on a divine appointment as well. When I was in a growth group, we used to go to growth group on Tuesday nights, 7 o'clock, we'd go to Clancy's. You ever go to Clancy's on a Tuesday night at 7 o'clock? It's rather not busy. But we'd always go. We'd always go at the same time, sit at the same table, and try to witness and have a conversation with the same server. It's as simple as that to go to that well, to go to that network, to go to the pepperonis or to the softball fields or wherever you're headed, but to do so with the realization that you are on a divine mission, that we would have our sustenance, our food would be to do the will of him who sent us. That's the first thing, that we can find that well because it's divinely appointed for us. Secondly, remember your testimony. Like the woman at the well, we must remember the story of salvation and tell it unashamedly. 
What is the reason that you have this hope? Why is it that you'll miss out on some practices at softball? Why is it that you'll be okay with your daughter missing church sometimes for softball? We have a hope that goes beyond attendance, but instead it goes in the person of Jesus. Remember your testimony. Remember what it is that has happened in your heart and tell it to those who are yet held captive at the well that you visit. And invite those others around you, not just to church. Invite them to Jesus. You ever notice we don't really try to get you to invite people to our church? The reason for that is that's good. We like that. That's fun. But you could come to church your whole life and never come to Jesus. The ultimate goal, yeah, you'll come to church. The ultimate goal is that you'll come to Jesus. The ultimate goal is that your neighbors, the people that you are divinely sent to, well, you'll be, you'll be the catalyst. You'll be that Paul Wise on the side of the, of the field that one day would just earn the right to tell me the truth that I'm looking for satisfaction at all the wrong places, all the wrong wells. I'm looking for accomplishment. I'm looking for life and all the things that I can do, and it will never satisfy. Maybe it's achievement. Maybe it's approval. Whatever it is, maybe this is for you, and maybe this is a word for someone else that you have in your mind. Jesus is the living water. And in this water, he says, is a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Maybe it's you that you need to come and drink of Jesus, and maybe it's your neighbor or someone else that you need to invite to come and drink of that same well that you found your ultimate satisfaction in. Let's pray together. Our God and our King, we know that people are longing for this water that you will provide. They may not know it yet, but I pray that we would find it our job and our joy to draw out of that well of living water and offer it to those who gather at the local wells. Though they are looking for some things, you have something far greater to offer. So I pray, Lord, that you would empower us, embolden us, to tell stories of how Jesus not only satisfied us that one day, October 12, 1999, at 10.05 p.m., but satisfies us wholly and continually, even when I don't realize it. The promise remains. Pray that we tell those stories. And I pray, Lord, that there would be many that would hear the testimony, that would have a testimony, that would be so powerful that the, ac the accuser would no longer be able to stand. The kingdom would come in our homes and our neighborhoods and our networks and eventually to the nations, wherever they may be. And that we would all be able to sing these beautiful praises of indeed this is the Savior of the world just like the people of Samaria so long ago. May we taste and see how good you are. May we be bold enough to tell these stories and may you embolden us. Would we be faithful as you embolden us on the paths ahead. We honor you, we worship you, and we lay down our lives, Lord, because you have laid down your life for us. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen. Let's respond together.